0: Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. I am John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. Today is Tuesday, October 13th, 2020, an important day in my family as it is my 18th anniversary and the 14th birthday of my daughter Shiri. So, uh, so this is, uh, it's an interesting thing having a an anniversary on the same day as your as your child's birthday, because it seems like it would be very special, but actually a, com- a competition gets set up between how much time you are going to focus on what um, and any time, any, <laughs> any time spent on the anniversary has been, in the past, deemed um, hostile, a hostile act toward the birthday. So... Uh, she is now of sufficient age that this is no longer the case but it's but uh, it seemed like a great gift uh upon her birth that you know this had happened on our anniversary very special very you know but as i say it turned out to be uh, an interesting complicated dynamic uh and uh but she's a wonderful kid and i have a wonderful marriage and i'm very grateful today and i'm uh and I am happy to be celebrating this with my colleagues. Associate Editor Noah Rothman. Hi Noah.
1: Hi John.
0: Senior Writer Christine Rosen. Hi Christine. Hi John. And Executive Editor Abe Greenwald. Hi Abe. Hi John. Okay, I wanted to uh, throw something at you guys uh, that occurred to me um, uh, really kind of last night as I was as I was falling asleep. Um, so it's, it's either uh, a brilliant insight, you know, of the, of that sort of sort or it's, or it's totally pre- preposterous. And it goes like this, uh, whether or not it is certainly not a conspiracy or that, you know, people had a meeting and sat down in the mainstream media and the Biden campaign and Democrats and, 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 you know, all of America's liberals had a, had a Zoom meeting at which they uh, hit upon this strategy, But um, there, I think, is a devastating strategy thing going on that um, may help explain why President Trump seems to be flailing in the wake of his COVID diagnosis uh, and why the COVID diagnosis was eerily helpful to the democratic narrative surrounding the election and why it is spreading beyond, as a super spreader, beyond Trump, which is... It's not just that the COVID diagnosis reminded everybody of the pandemic and the centrality of the pandemic. It is that it gave, uh, it created a new storyline. And the storyline is the Republican Party is the party of the disease. So you had the event at the White House and people at the White House getting it. You now have this very interesting thing where Pence Harris, you know, there's two or three days about whether or not the debate was going to have to feature was going to have to go virtual because of Corona or whether there would be the spit guards, which there ended up being Uh, in in the very now highly competitive Senate race in South Carolina. uh, Jamie Harrison, who was running against Lindsey Graham, suddenly made this whole case that Lindsey Graham might have the why isn't he testing for the virus? Where is the virus test? Why isn't he testing for the virus? And so we cannot get away from the virus. Trump can't get away from the virus. The Republican Party can't get away from the virus. The Republican, just as in 2006, the sex, the congressional sex scandals somehow became uh, a party-wide problem when it was two or three congressman or you know a congressman and the senator, or whatever and obviously that was a much different situation that didn't affect everybody in the country but nonetheless as the election approaches if you watch the news it's all this trump's at a rally why should he he, sh- he shouldn't have a rally he's spreading virus he could be spreading virus they could all be spreading virus no one should ever have a political event they could be spreading virus all of this they don't care whether or not he has rallies. They don't care. This is about the narrative that the Republican Party is the party of the virus. And if you and therefore implicitly, if you vote out Republicans, you are voting out the coronavirus. That is that is my this is my theory from late last night.
1: I don't think that's a controversial theory at all, with the exception of the fact that um, the same usual suspects who are, who are barking about Trump rallies being uh, public health risks were doing so before this event at the White House, so it's not, right. a, but it, it's a pretext, certainly. No, um, no. But it's a line. Over, but it's a line point.
0: that you can. It's a line that has renewed it's salience. Yeah, I suppose, yeah.
1: but right. it nevertheless, is is a political contrivance. Um, more to the point, I think there will be this, and I said this the day he got his positive case is that he will forever be a radioactive entity long after this disease has has cycled out of his system and he is no longer infectious whether you believe his doctors or not it's well past the point at which any observed cycle of this virus has has run its course Um, but it will persist all the way up until election day anyone who gets into proximity with this president um, both physically or politically will be considered a radioactive entity
2: I mean, Trump and the GOP as the typhoid Mary of this election is kind of uh, it's great. It's great branding on the part of the Democrats. What uh, there's another aspect of it that I've seen in the last few weeks that I think is also going to post election be become much more salient. And that's the the fact that we've started to see on the margins and certainly among some of the, the scientific experts. A lot of questions raised about lockdown and particularly school lockdowns. There even The Atlantic, which you know has has had a lot of kind of fear-mongering pieces, recently had a piece over the weekend about why we should reopen schools. The evidence is pretty clear. And the the we've we've spent months talking about the goalpost shifting, but I I think there's a there's a strong political uh, motive right now not to talk about that, not to talk about reopening until after the election. And then I think we'll see a ton of suddenly. Look, the narrative has shifted. We have a new president. Everything's getting better. We're going to have a vaccine. We'll see this shift happen in real time very swiftly. But it's it's interesting to me how much of the the masking theater that that the Biden campaign does is, um, and the strange uh, events he has, like the one he had the other day. I think it was in Michigan where he's standing there, and there's just a bunch of trucks. So it looked to me like a, a scene from the the horror movie, uh, Christine, that was based on the, on the Stephen King novel, like all the cars are just sitting there. People were driving in to hear him. These sparse rallies are actually seen as virtuous in this narrative. And so, John, I think that's true. And I remember Noah saying months and months ago um, that this was going to be how it played out politically for Biden, that there was just nothing in it for him to, to paint an optimistic picture about how the course of the pandemic was going. And that's definitely happening.
3: I also think it's completely true. And um, what's interesting is the counter to it was, so so Trump then tried to paint himself as the candidate of the cure, right? Um, he, he, he came out, he, he, he almost as if he, as if he infected himself to, to to get a real grasp on on what the problem of the nature of the problem is, so he can solve it. Um, he described his um, uh, restaurant as a restaurant. Is that what it's called? Regeneron. Regeneron. Sorry. Okay. Um, you know, restaurant
0: as, is a place you go to eat where there are tables and dishes. And I've orders. heard of such things in the past. Rest, Do they rest- still
2: exist? <laughs>
3: Restaurant, I said. Yeah, right. Yeah, General. Yeah, yeah, yeah. if, regener- if he had, yeah, right. If he had discovered restaurant, a, is a place to go to eat in the South. If he had discovered a restaurant, that would be, <laughs> then, then he might have. A, he might be onto something. Yeah. Um, so we, I mean, we. I'm sorry. I'm interrupting. No, go ahead, but should, no, to no, be no, but fair,
1: To be fair, yeah. as much as I despise the theatrics, scene chewing covid you know theater of it all and the biden campaign is being really excessive by maintaining 18 feet from his nearest interlocutor and it's all all for show the the super spreader event at the white house was a result of their own negligence and that yeah, negligence oh, i'm not, was I, I'm not ideologically right, motivated right. but they so have they have a, they have a right. point
0: but here's my here abe so trump does needs this election to be not about how he and his people are super spreaders of a disease, obviously. That's not a good message going into the elect going into the voting booth or the early voting, right? That, that is, you might say it's just about the worst possible message you could ever conceivably come up with in the history of the world. Well, so but he can't figure a way out of it. Right. Because every action that he takes is then seen refracted through the prism of this question of the contagion of the virus yeah that, that that's right so what could he do no With i th- th- three weeks from today is election day and remember we may see as many as 30 to 50 percent, supposedly, I don't know, I I find this all ridiculous, but that, you know, 30 percent of 150 million votes are going to be cast before Election Day. let us It's probably not going to be that. But anyway, let's say we're basically in Election Day right now.
3: So three weeks. Yeah, I don't I don't think Trump has another play on his end, right? I mean, I think it's the, the time's more or less up, which doesn't mean... Something completely sudden and unforeseen couldn't happen on the uh, Biden Harris side um, to to still um, change things. Some you know some disaster on their part. Although it's 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 hard to see what that would be, um, barring uh, you know God forbid uh, a medical problem on their on their end. Um, right. But I, but yeah, I, I think he's 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 played that out. I mean, you know, he, he the idea that hey. I got this. I beat it. I beat it quickly. Uh, we can be strong through this. This isn't the end of of, uh, of the country. In the broad strokes, that is that is the best thing he could have done. The The way he did it was a little crazy or a lot crazy. Um, and no one was receiving that message.
2: Well, and there's a weird, there's a tone, problem of tone. I mean, obviously, even commenting on a problem of tone with Trump seems ridiculous, but I, I to that point, Abe, if you look at the rally he had in Florida, uh, what yesterday, um, it, the tone is euphoric that he triumphed over this virus, and that's the wrong tone to have. Right. Not merely because it, the horrible, horrible devastation this thing has reaped—you know, the, the hundreds of thousands of lives lost—but the fact that. You don't, euphoria is not, is a weird thing to express to the public about your own battle with something that you can't control. Humility is what you should be expressing grateful, gratitude. Um, and I, I mean, he's clearly grateful for the support he's received. And he he's said that many times. But, you know, he, he was talking about, you know, crowd surfing into Floridians to kiss men and women. It was bizarre. I mean, that that kind of euphoria, right. people were joking that he was on drugs. But mm-hmm. I, I I think he probably, I think it's revealing of just how scared he likely was and how sick he likely was and, and his experience. But but it's the wrong political message, I think, at this moment.
3: But I just, just as a pure matter of PR, though, I have to say that I think humility would actually, in a weird way, really certainly be the end of him not not that this isn't already the political end of him in that uh the way you want to um boost your profile these days is really to sort of amplify what you are already what whatever there is that people are interested in in, in you may, go big on that in some sense um so he, he to to shift to humility for Trump would be seen as a total sort of defeat of a sort. Um, no, but th- there would be a way.
0: I mean, again, I, I'm i not even sure what's interesting here is Trump's reaction uh, just yeah. to the extent that uh, he's kind of boxed into a corner that is almost anything that he would do or could do would still provide the echo for this message um, that is so helpful to them, I think. Um, but, you know, he could have said like, it doesn't, I, forget about me. Like, I, you know, I'm, I am I. was sick. I got over it or I'm sick. This is all about you. selection's election's about you. It's not about me. Uh. And, you know, what's important is Operation Warp Speed. That's what's important. What's important is, you know, the monoclonal antibodies, which are, you know, going to help people. That's what's important. I'm not what's important here. Right. You're what's important. And remember, that was the thing that I think, helped Biden win the debate, uh, aside from Trump's own performance, which is that Biden kept turning toward the camera and saying, this election isn't about me, it's about you. And even there, you can say that Biden, by saying, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do about court packing. I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to, you know, I'm not the issue. You're the issue and Trump is the issue. Don't make me the issue. Don't make my views, my positions, my. I'm not going to cooperate in any effort to make anything that I think or believe the issue. We're yelling and screaming about this. And, you know, I don't know that he's going to get away with it or not get away with it. Right. But, but, um, but that it's all part of the narrative. And Trump, you know, feeds that. And if, if, um, uh, and he doesn't have another pitch, you know, he doesn't. He doesn't know I I I he he doesn't have a natural understanding of how to do that. How to say this is about you because nothing is about anybody else in his mindset. But I I just think w- what what you see when you see this unbelievable pessimism, just like the news about COVID is just relentless pessimism. Of an almost, you know, it's like one person in Nevada, Nevada, excuse me, uh, gets a, has a resurgence of the virus, a second coming of the virus. One person in the United States out of 7 million positives, and there are news stories about it. Michael Mina, who is the epidemiologist at Harvard, complained about this this morning, that these stories are irresponsible because they are going to create a panic on the basis of something that is apparently not representative of anything. Similarly, we have the the case numbers are rising. You know, Idaho doesn't Idaho doesn't have enough uh, ICU beds for the outbreak or whatever. The notion that like the death toll continues to fall, that the case numbers increase, and the hospitalizations and death tolls as a as a factor of the virus in general are are you know down as opposed to up and all of that we never get any of that and that's the question of what happens if biden wins and it's november 4th november 5th november 6th will we continue in this we are trapped in a nightmare from which there is no escape or will we suddenly get the hey you know what this Regeneron treatment is really yeah. pretty good. Everyone got, you know, and you know, I think we can open schools now because you know what? They're really not. Schools really aren't super spreaders. I mean, look, Emily, Emily Oster said so in the New York times doing a, you know, a longitudinal study. So they're not really in all of this, but it's this, everything is terrible. And so that just has a practical political
1: advantage
0: against trump of the republicans for obvious reasons
1: yes this is my trajectory of events if biden wins you have a lot of big city mayors already on record saying the end of the term which just happens to coincide roughly with election day is when they're going to reevaluate and prepare for opening schools so schools will go first because you've already started to see data uh data pieces in american press reflecting what we've known for a very long time from research abroad that schools do not represent a, a profound risk. In fact, they have a lower risk relative to community with regards to transmission. So they will go first. Um, you already saw people like the, the head of the WHO say, you know, we don't like lockdowns. We never advocated for lockdowns. Lockdowns are a draconian measure. And what's more, they're not really all that effective. So that will serve as a predicate to reopen everything, but not the second Trump loses. Uh, and not, but not before inauguration day the um, swearing in of the new Congress I think January 3rd something along those lines will will become the point at which we reach the pivot because then we will have a legislative mechanism to achieve the kind of things that we want to do on the progressive side of things and progressive mayors who, and governors rather who are most of whom are on the record many of whom are on the record saying back in April May June that we're not going to get out of this thing until we have a vaccine. Will um, come to terms with the understanding that the vaccine is a, a little farther off than we want it to be. Last night we got some news from Johnson and Johnson that they halted a, a trial as a result of a, of a sickness, and it's, it's really difficult to develop a vaccine, particularly on this truncated timescale. So you can't sit around and wait for that. I mean, they all they all they've all reached the understanding that revenues are critical at this point.
0: I don't know that they've all reached the understanding. And here's here's the other oh, question, so. which is. Uh, you are part of an. You are part of the storyline that says that we are in this unprecedented horror. And then, if you follow again, I, there's no conspiracy. Nobody got together to decide that they were going to do this. Liberals and the liberal culture are in a moral panic about the future of the country and how we are about to, you know, go through a thousand years of darkness if Trump wins again and if the republicans prevail in the senate and whatever and so their mood is going to clear up if biden wins a a lot you know COVID just plays into all of this and so they 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 feel this way in part because they feel this way about everything and they will suddenly have a, a totally different emotional perspective but i don't know that that is true of the tens of millions of people who have bought into the line that they need to stay indoors until there's a vaccine. I don't know that you can shut that off by Andrew Cuomo or, you know, Gretchen Whitmer or the mayor of Los Angeles saying, you know what, we're going to reopen now because they're not, the public isn't aren't robots. Aren't
2: they robots? Well, I think it depends on how much the public has also bought into this, and if the polls are any judge, uh, they have bought into it uh, significantly. How much Trump is the existential risk, right? Rather than COVID. So once the existential risk is removed, if Biden wins, then I think we're going to hear from a lot of those governors and mayors. Um, Talk about living with a certain amount of risk, right? We have to manage the risk right now. You can't manage the risk because as long as Trump is in charge, it's existential. Existential risk can't be managed in the same way, right? So the rhetoric just heats up once he's removed. I think we will, we'll, we'll see more of that kind of. Well, it really is like the flu. Here are the ways we're handling it. We don't, you know, the federal government's now in good hands. I mean, look, in D.C., for example, we've had very few. There was a, a couple of days last week where there was not a single COVID death. There you know, a, a few new cases our teachers' unions are refusing to go back into the classroom until there's basically zero of anything. I mean, it's if you read their rhetoric, but that's like, what I'm Perfect asking. safety is is the only option. But but that's because they know the mayor will cave to them. I don't think she's going to continue to cave once once uh, Biden wins. I just don't think she will. I, I think- don't know. This is my question.
0: People have been in a state of trauma for many months, and you can't turn it off like a light switch when you want to you
2: can't like you can't but they can accelerate. explain the away yeah. as dealing as living under trump if they are even moderately inclined towards the liberal uh view of the world of the last few years they can sort of see that purging of him as a pur- <laughs> they're lancing that boy no, i Everyone think they do saying. i think they do but
0: do you think that i mean I, I assume that we don't think that you know people who are like panicked about the virus and living, you know, living in the most you know draconian possible ways are, are doing so as a as a protestation or a, or, or as an example of their uh, liberal faith. This has pushed very elemental primal buttons for a great many people, and it has been exacerbated, in my view, by the way that everyone has talked about this as a public matter for the last six months. And as I say, when they want, if when they want to say, ding dong, the witch is dead, everybody, you know, or, you know, everyone can come out because the house has fallen on the witch. And now, you know, Munchkin land is safe. The Munchkins may not come out of their houses. You know, the teachers unions aren't going to come out of their The teachers unions believe that these kids are going to kill them
1: and they're not going to no, suddenly. What? No, they don't. Some, they do do. No. Some do. not. Some do. Okay, how many? Let's quantify this. What's the percentage that does? Let's say 25% of the teachers. Okay, so 75% don't. So it's 75% contrivance. Yeah, it's a political contrivance. They don't actually believe that. They don't actually believe zero cases. They don't actually believe zero risk. That's I don't not know real. What they, it's all I don't think it's real, and I don't think it's going your away because your it's not to real. You're trying to quantify fear
0: and say that— and I think I'm, you're overestimating it. Well, I, I I could be. That's I mean, that's that's the question. I mean, ma- maybe I'm overestimating it, but yeah, no, uh, I, think I could also not right. be overestimating it. You can't be Andrew Cuomo and throw you know people in jail and shut down religious services for six or seven months, and then reopen them on on November fourth.
3: Well, sure, can, can I?
1: I, I hypocrisy okay. is not an obstacle.
3: <clears throat> well, I can just uh, go by. Um observation and anecdote here. Um, cause this a similar question had come up about what the New York public would be to the opening of dining indoors. Um, would people go or would they not from what I've seen, people are eating indoors in, 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 in pretty substantial numbers. I mean, I there, too, yeah. there in DC as well. Yeah. I mean, that that's certainly what it seems to be. So I think, uh, uh, Enough to meet this, like, what is it, 25 percent? I mean,
1: that's a low bar to clear. Yeah. So, yeah, of course these places are going to look filled to the extent you can fill them.
3: I mean, there there are competing traumas at work here. You know, there's there's on on the one sense, people are uh, absolutely petrified of the disease itself. And then there is the trauma of not being able to roam about freely and partake in those aspects of life that they have enjoyed up until seven eight months ago so uh. okay let me give you a different example so
0: biden wins democrats take the senate you know our long national nightmare is over according to you know according to liberal culture and the movie theater is open let's just say this is the question is anybody gonna go now, according to you, Abe, people might go because they're going to restaurants. I I just don't know that you can, you can reassure people that everything is clear when you have established in everybody's mind, without saying so, that we're only going to be clear when there is a vaccine. And so you can say, Trump, you know, the election is the vaccine, But I don't know that people are really going to feel like the election is the vaccine. I mean, maybe in Berkeley, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and some other places, the election will seem like the vaccine. But ordinary frightened people are still going to be worried about going to a movie theater.
2: Okay, but there's but there's I think it's uh, hard to interrupt, but there's a there's a whole cadre of people right now who are abiding by the, you know, uh, shelter in place, uh, most extreme measure kind of mentality, because to to challenge that is to ally yourself with the side of Trump. And these are people who don't like trump they don't like what he stands for they don't like his supporters they don't want to be seen as a as a mask defying weird trump trumpian right they don't want to be seen that way and i wonder how many of the people who aren't going out who are who are very uh careful about this if given permission to be less insane and less locked down will embrace it. Because I know a lot of those people. I know a lot of people who are like, you know, I I mean, I was just walking my dog by myself for 10 miles, but I still wear my mask because I don't want to get yelled at. I don't want people to think I'm one of those mask deniers. I think that's a there's a swath of people in this country who fit that description.
0: Okay. I want to talk about masks. But before we talk about masks, I want to talk to you about our sponsor today, Bills.com. Because As I've told you before, being in debt stinks. Credit cards, student loans, mortgages, doesn't matter what kind. Being in debt flat out stinks. And there is a way to beat your debt. It's Bills.com. If you're losing sleep over maxed out credit cards or stressed out thinking about your mortgage payments or student loans, Bills.com can help you take back control of your life. The first step to lowering your monthly payments and becoming debt-free is to get a free debt assessment. It only takes a few minutes and could save you hundreds or even thousands of dollars each month. From debt settlement to personal loan consolidation to student loan or mortgage refinancing, Bills.com has you covered. It's part of the Freedom Financial Network, which has been in business since 2002 and has settled over $10 billion in debt. So take the first step to defeating your debt. Get your free debt assessment today. Go to Bills.com slash commentary. That's Bills.com slash commentary. Bills.com slash commentary. And we thank Bills.com for sponsoring the Commentary Magazine podcast. Okay, so... CDC Director Redfield and various public health officials keep saying this thing. And I will stipulate that we are not epidemiologists, we're not doctors, we're not, okay. But we're reasonably literate people who have been spending, you know, seven, eight months reading up like this, like we're taking a graduate seminar. And they say, as I heard someone say on MSNBC yesterday... If 95% of the public would wear a mask, 80,000 deaths would be prevented. That's what some guy, I don't remember who, one of these guys with glasses and gray hair, um, said on MSNBC. <coughs> Redfield said, we could wipe out the virus in eight weeks if everybody wore a mask. What What's going, now, is this talisman is this science or magic? Is this actual is it that if you wear a mask the transmit the, the 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 spittle spray transmission would be so hampered that nobody would really get it anymore? And so but of course it would only work if 95% of people did it. And of course 95% of people in a nation of 330 million people are not going to do that, so it's not going to happen. Or is, it, is that science? <laughs> or is there some weird talismanic thing that if you wear the mask, it is a symbol of your general behavior of caution. Words, you're not going to just wear a mask and then not do anything else that is attended upon wearing a mask. Like you're going to wear it, but you're also going to socially distance because if you're wearing a mask, why would you wear a mask and then not socially distance? Why? And I, am, I feel like three or four years from now, when all the dust settles, there is going to be a reckoning about a lot of these pronouncements that have been made by the public health industry that are going to provide more fodder for the idea that we cannot trust uh, establishment institutions to be telling us the truth about these things or that they are just as prone to ridiculous... Uh, enthusiasms and you know trends and uh, groupthink that is you know that is uh, incepted out of nothing as as anything else. We, we, I don't know, but how know do you this, guys this feel? This
2: is, the, I mean, this is structure of scientific revolutions, right? Paradigm shifts. I mean, we know that institutions do have these trends where they all there is groupthink. But how could there not be? But I I really do think that we're only going to see the fallout of that. After we have had months and months of one political party saying we follow science, we follow science. The science says stay on lockdown, wear a mask, do this, this, this. and then they win the election. And if that message shifts to, to Noah's point earlier, if that message shifts too swiftly, that should breed cynicism in a public that's like, well, wait a minute. We've just we've made all these sacrifices. We've done everything you said. We followed what you defined as the science. Do you even know what you're talking about? That, that that's a healthy skepticism that can be taken to. You know, conspiracy theorizing extremes, particularly online, but it's it's the public's right to question those institutions when they've been getting inconsistent messaging from them that with an overlay of politics on both sides. Uh, the, I don't think basking
3: I'm sorry. Well, the, well the Redfield uh, statement in particular was kind of an amazing thing. Trump got a lot of criticism for saying that he thinks Redfield was confused, but the truth is. He must have been confused, Redfield, because what he said was actually a reversal of everything that he had and they had been saying up until that point. Because what Redfield said was, this mask will protect me. My mask will protect me as much as a vaccine. The, the conventional institutional scientific uh, wisdom on the question up until he had said that was that you wear masks to protect other people. Uh, your mask is not your vaccine. Um, and and Redfield said that it was so. To me, it it, it was pure, it was pure magic, uh, sort of you know polit- politicized magic. I don't think masking, as you said,
1: John, is symbolic per se of the interventions you take in your personal life beyond masking. I think it's indicative of the interventions that you would take beyond masking. So that individuals who engage in masking probably also engage in hand sanitizing and hand washing and social distancing and all the other interventions that prevent infection where masking alone is insufficient we know as of march around 65 percent of people said they wore masks when they go outside as of october 5th according to a morning consult poll that has risen to 92 percent of people now we know that's not true but it is nevertheless something that you feel like you have to tell a pollster which suggests that there's not a lot of resistance to this message that even the simplest interventions like masking when you go outside is something that's a, a hurdle that you can clear um, and if we don't, and so the conclusion that you have to reach, I mean, if we, if we all know that 92% is not a real figure, but it's nevertheless, probably close, say, let's say 75% really, but everybody close to universal thinks that this is the correct message, thinks that this is the correct thing to do. Um, so they're, which suggests, susceptible, they're right. susceptible to the messaging that they're receiving from their political officials. And when that messaging changes, we can expect their behaviors. Well,
0: which suggests then, that Trump's behavior on masking is insane, just as a practical political matter.
2: Yes.
0: (laughs) That is crazy. You don't want to be on the other side. Now, I'm not sure that that was knowable back in March, but in October, it's knowable. If 75 to 90% of people essentially believe that virtue requires them to say that they wear masks... Throwing lots of dog whistle, doing whatever you can to dog whistle that you don't think masks are important or that you find you're sort of contemptuous of masks is yet another sign that, you know, um, Trump's intuitive, instinctive politics, uh, this is not the best way to pursue a situation in which you're facing headwinds. Like you want to go by the data and use the data to help you formulate the message that you're going to – if he is deeply convinced that putting on a mask makes him look weak and that that's bad and all this, and 90% of people in the country say we we wear masks – Uh, Then he is effectively sending the message that he thinks that the people he wants to vote for him are weak.
2: Well, and and he it it also robs uh, him of a chance or or anyone really on that on the right side of the aisle, to uh, talk about the fact that most people wearing masks, even if they're self-reporting correctly, are wearing them in a way that undermines their usefulness. Even Joe Biden, I mean, I watched one of his press conferences, he pulled it down and coughed, he put it back up, he's touching, I mean, all of us do this. I'm not, I'm calling him out because it was so egregious because they're such virtue signalers with their mask wearing. We all do this, like, so they're already, the effectiveness level of the mask is gonna be diluted by our own human behavior. But that would, have again, a good leader during a public health crisis would say, I wear a mask, we should all wear masks, let's be careful not to do this, this and this while we wear our masks, you know, do your best. Again, messaging, communicating with the public, this is all, of, instead we have videos of him being choppered back to the White House and him ripping off his mask. I mean, But it- I'm
0: not even talking about like what a good uh, leader is. I'm talking about like somebody who is trying to win an election. He can be a good leader, he could be a terrible leader, he could be the best president or the worst president. You don't want to be on the wrong side of a a 90% issue. You know? I mean, I, I appreciate that masks are driving people crazy. And the more you think about it, there are all kinds of upsetting aspects to this, like little children who learn, you know, Toddlers and babies who learn so much from watching the faces of people who are not necessarily their parents about silent messaging, how people react. One of the reasons that public life or going out in public, particularly in cities, but I imagine everywhere, has gotten so fraught and that people are so on edge and that fights break out and stuff like that that seem out of, out of, Weird character with the way Americans generally behave is that people don't know whether someone is friend or foe because they can't see their face, they can see eyes, and therefore they can the whole thing becomes a Rorschach test. They are feeling judged by somebody from what their eyes look like, but you know, somebody walks by you and kind of has a neutral or even a smiling expression that would be completely vitiated. But we don't have that. And so you know, everybody I know everywhere you go you like, you're not sure whether to make eye contact with anybody anymore. Because you don't know whether someone is going to be like what are you looking at? You know, I mean you don't know in a store, on a street it's really, really destructive of the social fabric. And so I appreciate that this is like This notion, it's like, yeah, we're all going to be wearing masks for a year. I mean, really? We're going to be wearing masks until next September? I mean, I don't know. The civic life of New York City, again, I know everybody who listens thinks we're just so, you know, parochial about this. But it's going to be very difficult for the civic life of New York City to survive this kind of anybody is a possible threat to you. If you're the sort of person who has that kind of attitude. Um. And yet, what what can you do? But, I mean, I just think, like, uh, that's where I say I don't know if you can turn it off so easily. If 90% of people say I should wear a mask, they're not going to get take the mask off so quickly, even if they want to. I don't know.
2: I mean, it might become more like seatbelt use. You know, there there was this period of transition yeah. where nobody. I mean, I grew up rolling around in the in the way back, as we called it, of yeah. my grandma's huge wood paneled station wagon, um, and I wouldn't. I mean, I I look back in horror at some of those times, and yet, you know, over the course of a lifetime, now everybody's buckled up, and as I'm sure I've told you guys, my kids' car seats back when they were young, they could have been sent to the moon safely, and they were so yeah. they were so safe. So there's a sense in which, like many uh, countries in Asia, did decades ago. Uh, mask wearing just becomes a cultural thing when you're sick you put on a mask when there's a flu outbreak everyone puts on a mask it's just is not it becomes a cultural instead of being a, in a, a very um deeply uh, politicized and alarming cultural symbol. It just becomes something most people do. And there will always be others who say, I don't need to wear a seatbelt. And they're more likely to die in a crash. There'll be people who don't mask up when they are sick. They will infect others. But it's a cultural shift. And right now, in the midst of a culture war, it's very difficult to have that sense of normalcy about anything. Everything becomes a signal of something. And that's the thing that, no matter who wins in November, I will hope to see uh, resolve yeah. a little bit that tension. And Trump contributes to it just simply by the outsized nature of his.
1: Okay, uh, I want to move on. I want to move Wait, on. No, no, no. Okay. I want to make a, a yeah. brief point here. I don't think that you're going to see the kind of culture of masking in this country that you see in East Asia. I just don't foresee it. It will, will be with us longer than probably is necessary and it will outlast the pandemic. But what will go, what'll be the first thing to go isn't the masking, but the manic garment-rending shaming that you experience on the streets in the event that you are not masked in the appropriate setting based on this person who's 15 feet away from you and thinks you're going to kill him. That anxiety will disappear. And slowly, the masking will go with it. Okay, so here's what I want to move on to
0: talk about. So a huge day yesterday, uh, first day of early voting in Georgia, right, on Columbus Day. So huge 200,000 people voted, and there were very long lines at the early voting uh, whatevers. And what I see, and this is now the narrative, this is this insane narrative that is now developing is that people standing online to vote is a form of voter suppression. they anyone notice this? Like, there's all this... People were online. They were online for five hours. You interview them on TV. It's like, well, if I'd known it was five hours, I wouldn't have stood on this line. And people saying, this is just a form of voter suppression. Voting should be easy. You're not supposed to stand on line. What the hell is going on here? There is one thing in life that you're supposed to stand on line for. It's the polling place. It is part of the civic obligation of being a citizen in the United States. People have been standing online line to vote since voting began in this country, you
2: know, 240 years ago, 250 okay, but, but years ago. Two, I think there are two, two explanations. I mean, at, some of it is partisan, obviously. You hear this more from Democrats than than from Republicans. But two things. One, we have become, over the last 10 years, very much an on-demand society. We are used to pushing a button and having a result, and that's how we like things. Um more recently, we have been not used to standing in line. I mean, I, I actually have noticed the last few times I've had to stand in line for something, being, first of all, being out of our houses, being around other people, even with social distancing, which of course causes the lines to be longer because they have to be properly spaced. Unless you had you know, a rush at the grocery stores, which some of us experienced at the very early months of the pandemic, it's something you're out of the habit of
3: doing. So I had actually noticed that um, this narrative uh, about, um how uh, lines for voting was is intolerable this is this has started a while back i remember um during the last midterm elections um the commentators would um sort of walk slowly walk the distance of the line to demonstrate how long that is and then they would interview people sir how long have you been waiting here to vote uh, i got here you know uh 2 hours ago that's incredible that's unbelievable can you believe that, that we that that there there are these line you know um that that This idea that um, having to wait in line to vote is um, uh, another uh, symptom of crumbling democracy. So in 2008,
0: when we had the record turnout and it was the Obama election where he got 70 million votes, the treatment of election day was that it was a giant party. People couldn't wait to go to the polling place to cast this historic vote. They were dancing, they were singing, they were they brought food. There was a, it was a jubilant thing, and you remember there were there was like a million people on you know in Lafayette Park when when Obama won the election and Grant Park, five hundred thousand people were out dancing in Chicago, and all of this. So it all depends on whose ox is being gored here. Like as long as the as long as the result is foretold and it's the way you want it, then it's fantastic. That I thought everybody loves crowd. Everybody loves a good demonstration about Black Lives Matter where there are a million people. But God forbid anybody should have to wait. To cast a goddamn vote. I mean, is my brain coming out of my ears?
1: No, you don't even have to reach back into 2008 when I stood online line for two hours in New Jersey. Um, you'll have to reach back three days because it's not like Georgia is the only place that has experienced really long lines. The coverage of Virginia's really long lines to vote has been with a tone of perseverance. <laughs> and look, as, look at what these voters are, are, are Putting up with in order to cast their ballot forty five days ahead of election time forty five days ahead of election time, but no one is saying this is voter suppression. And what's the difference between Georgia and Virginia? I would like also to
0: say that it is so much easier the, now. Blue government. It is
1: up now It is so much
0: easier now to stand on long lines because of the cell phone. I mean, I stood on a line for two hours in Brooklyn in two thousand to vote in the Bush Gore election at my local synagogue and I waited online for two hours and then we got there and they said, you know what? The voting machines are broken. And so that means you're going to cast a paper ballot and it's a provisional ballot. Provisional ballot means they only count it if they need to, because they didn't have their, you know, this was not, this is, this was the system. So basically I waited for two hours. My ballot didn't count (laughs) because it was a provisional ballot. I didn't complain. I mean, look, what, what could I do? Suddenly, it's 20 years later, and if you wait for five minutes, this 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 um, world of voter suppression psychosis has now decided that if you can't just do it like an online poll on Drudge, your vote is being suppressed. It's this bizarre move to suggest that anything that isn't a... Uh, you know, it's like this, this notion that there's no such thing as voter fraud, right? There's no such thing as voter fraud. There's no voter fraud. I mean what do you got what are you people talking about municipal elections in the United States we have every voter system that we have has been put into place in order to prevent very simple forms of voter fraud, ballot stuffing, ballot box stuffing, unions handing over hundreds of thousands of ballots. It, there is all sorts of evidence that the t- 1960 election was won by Kennedy because of voter fraud in Cook County engineered by the Daily machine. Nobody knows this for sure, but there was sure a whole hell of a lot of voter fraud in Cook County and Illinois was the tipping state that won um that won Kennedy the election so that was sixty years ago it wasn't two hundred
2: years ago it wasn't two thousand years ago. But there's a there's a sense in which uh, it's interesting if you look at uh, in the 60s when the parties themselves were much more powerful, much greater arbiters of the process and people had more trust in them and in the process than they do now. I mean, it's not surprising, given particularly the media landscape in the last five to 10 years and online and social media in particular, that people now see their vote as an act of instant gratification. And it's weird to cast a there. I think really people are used to having an immediate response to any uh, impulse of their will or emotions. And, and they don't see why voting should be different and particularly younger voters. This is why uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who I guess I have to now refer to as representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she'll get very mad. Um, she's a genius at this, right? She goes on the, you know, she does these Instagram stories. She does these little videos. She she talks in the language of you feel something, I'm going to respond, So this sense, I mean, look, we're asked to give our feelings to the gas station pump when we fill up our cars. Like, how are you feeling today? What what did you think of your experience? What was your pizza experience like? I've gotten seen that on pizza boxes. (laughs) We've been kind of acculturated to this. And it's not a surprise to see it happen with voting. But we do need to. I think there's a way to push back. And because the parties have utterly collapsed at doing their jobs, we got to find another way to. to Right. But it's not ordinary. It's not
0: ordinary people who are issuing these complaints right, it is the political elite. class it yes. is this it is the very online it is this political class and this entire voter suppression industry that is there ready made to be an excuse for when democrats don't win elections and it has become a and and but it's now reaching a, a level of absurdity that um is just i find incredibly offensive that uh people people are too good to wait online to cast their vote for president they're so busy oh they're so busy that they can't wait online to cast your vote for president i thought we wanted a hundred percent voter you know like on the one hand they're all like democracy fetishists Yelling at Mike Lee for saying that, you know, voting isn't the end all and be all of democracy. And on the other hand, the notion that you might have to sacrifice an hour or two to cast a vote is deemed, you know, is deemed something that is white people trying to suppress black people who apparently can't wait on line for things. Mm -hmm. I, I gather it's like an act of white supremacy that black people wait on a line to vote or something um anyhow uh but don't worry it, this will all go on everything we're saying will have no effect whatsoever on the ludicrousness of this uh line of argument but it because if you think that you're when you watch things and you think you're taking crazy pills like you know like Mugatu, you're not taking crazy pills you're right they're all terrible you're correct that's that's why we're here <laughs> to try to help you understand that um you're seeing reality and they're living in a world of fantasy. Shall we say? And with that, we will bring this podcast to a close. We'll see you again tomorrow. For Abe, Christina, Noah, I'm John Podhorts Keep the candle burning.